Well, good evening. Uh, the passage of scripture uh, that we've got to consider this evening are the first nine plagues um, of the ten. So we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 7 verse 14 and I'll just read uh, the first plague and then we'll make some comments. So Exodus chapter 7 verse 14. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard with firmness. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says Yahweh, By this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I am about to strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will be weary of drinking water from the Nile. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, and over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did thus as Yahweh had commanded. And he raised up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. And the fish that were in the Nile died. And the Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was throughout all the land of Egypt. Yet the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not set his heart even on this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after Yahweh had struck the Nile. Amen. And Lord will add a blessing to this, his holy and authoritative word that I've read in a presence this glorious evening. Um, I guess, you know, whenever we are looking at any passage of scripture, um, a question that perhaps we should always ask ourselves is this, what can I learn about God? What in the passage of scripture can I learn about God? And then a second and related question that we ought to ask ourselves is this. How are we therefore to respond to him? In light of this knowledge that I have learned, how are we to respond to him? And I'm sure you've greatly enjoyed your study of the book of Exodus so far. For as you have gone through the book of Exodus, you will have learned some wonderful things about the character and the attributes of our God. 
For example, in Exodus chapter 3, of how it was when the Lord revealed himself to Moses in the passage of the burning bush. And and Moses asks, well, he's given his commission. And he says, "Well, well, who am I to say has sent me? To which the Lord replied, I am that I am. And so in that, in, with that phrase, you have learned, we have reminded ourselves of the eternal self-existence of God. Of how this one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, of how they have lived for eternity. Irrespective of how far back in time you go, they have always been there. Unchangeable. Never developing. Eternally living in the present tense. This is our God. He is the supreme cause of everything. Existing outside of nature, outside of time. This is our God. Then in Exodus chapter 6, perhaps you did it last week or the week before. You reminded yourselves that this self-existing God of how he is faithful to the promises that he has made. For example, um, he said, he says in, in verse 3 of chapter 6, uh, I am Yahweh and I appear to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh I was not known to them. I established my covenant with them and to give them the, the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. And so the Lord God is saying here, yes, I remember the promises that I made to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And yes, I know it's been 400 odd years in the past, but I remember these promises. And I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan as I promised to, to Abraham. God is committed to the promises that, 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 that he makes. And when I thought about that, I, I just reminded myself of, of Genesis chapter 15. This unconditional covenant that God makes with Abraham. And it's a strange passage of scripture. Of how God commands uh, that a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon be, 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 be sacrificed. And the carcasses of these, these animals are to be divided. And uh, a deep sleep falls upon Abraham, but the Lord God himself passes through. I think, what on earth is that speaking about? This is strange. This is weird. Well, in Genesis, Jeremiah, I beg your pardon, chapter 34, verse 18 to 20, we read this. That anyone who enters into a covenant... With an agreement with somebody else. And they're saying, well, if I do not keep the words of this promise that I have made to you, then let me be like one of these dead animals. And so therefore God is saying, the promises that I have made to you, Abraham, the fact that I'm going to give you the land of Canaan and that through you all nations shall be blessed. Well, the, the reality is this. If I do not keep my promise, and he will, then let me be like one of these dead animals. I will die. And if you, Abraham, if you do not keep your promise, and you won't, then I also will die. 
The Lord God is making that promise. And as we enter into this time of Easter, the Lord Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem today, almost uh, over 2,000 years ago. Let us just remind ourselves of this, of how committed our God is in keeping his promises. How committed our God is in keeping his promises. He promised that through Abraham all nations shall be blessed. The reason why you and I are blessed, and, and, and I am so encouraged to see so many different peoples here today. The reason why all kindreds and peoples are blessed is because of the death of God incarnate upon the cross. God is committed to the promises that he makes. It's a wonderful truth. It's wonderful just to consider these things. So we reminded ourselves that that God is eternal. He is self-existent. We reminded ourselves that God is faithful to his promises. Well, what can we learn through these first nine plagues? It's this. It teaches us that our God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. And it's it's important to understand that. As God has made promises, he has the power to keep them, to fulfill them. Praise God for that. How can I say that? Well, in these ten plagues, let's say, whoever's going to be dealing with, with, with the plague of the Passover, The Lord is not only merely sending ten different plagues upon the nation of Israel, upon the nation of Egypt, beg your pardon, but he's also systematically defeating and overthrowing different Egyptian deities. Egypt was an idolatrous nation. Pharaoh himself was the chief deity. But in these ten or these nine different plagues, there were nine different Egyptian deities that were overthrown. For example, Hepi, the god of the annual flooding of the Nile, he could not reverse the water being turned into blood. This God who, who is supposed, supposedly involved in the, in, in the soil becoming fertile through, through, through the annual inundation of how happy was powerless, of how the water was diseased, of Heket, the God of fertility, who is, who is displayed or pictured as being a frog, half man, half frog. He could not remove the frogs. Of how Geb, the deity of the earth, of how he could not create gnats from the dust. The magicians themselves would say, this is enough. This is the finger of God. Of how Kephi, the god of the morning sun, of how he could not reverse the flies. Of how Hatha, the protector uh, of all the livestock, of how he could not protect the Egyptian livestock, and yet, lo and behold, the, 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 the Israeli livestock was kept protected. 
of our, of our Isis, the goddess of healing, could not heal the boils. How not the goddess of this weird name to worship the god, uh, the god not. Uh, however, maybe meant something different in the Egyptian language. However, um, not could not uh, reverse the hail that was falling upon the land of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh himself asked Moses to intercede on his behalf. He understood the impotence of the. Egyptian um, priests. Seth, the god of foreign lands, could not remove the locusts. Ra, the chief of deities other than Pharaoh, uh, the, um, the sun god, he could not cause the sun to shine upon the land of Egypt. And so, we have here the Lord God displaying to the people of Egypt and to the people of Israel the fact that he is almighty the fact that he is almighty and I can just imagine in my mind's eye of how these different temples devoted to these different deities of how they would empty I can just imagine how it was that, that the Egyptians themselves, kind of like what happened to Ephesus, when they saw you know, these, these emblems, these symbols, these, these, these pieces of rock or, or, or wood or, or gold or silver or whatever else, when they saw well, these things are impotent, that burn them. I can just imagine that. Worthless. God is showing. The Lord is showing that he is almighty no such thing as an idol there is only one God as I was thinking about that my mind went to to Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything of the earth beneath or the water under the earth for I the Lord your God am a jealous God so here he is commanding Moses and the children of Israel that you shall not worship anyone else other than me you shall not have any symbol of any deity for I the Lord your God am a jealous God now to you and I, jealousy is a negative thing, isn't it? If, I, if I'm being honest. Jealousy is a negative thing. So, so why, how therefore can, can God describe himself as being a jealous God? Well, it's very interesting. The Hebrew word for jealous is derived from the word red. R-E-D. The, the colour Red. And it carries with it the idea of hot-blooded commitment. And I put it to you that, that this evening that if jealousy is missing from any, from any relationship, then this is just cause to, to, to consider this, to, to ask yourself whether true love actually exists in that relationship. If a husband is uninterested in the amorous advances of, a, of another man toward his, his wife, then you would say, well, th that relationship is upon rocky ground. 
but the eternal, faithful, almighty, self-existent God desires a relationship with you and I. Just stop and think about that. As I am jealous for my wife with a godly jealousy, lover um, from the bottom of my heart, and I would absolutely uh, do something if I, I saw somebody acting inappropriately with my wife. Then the same is true for God. He has this desire to have a, an intense, deep relationship uh, with you and I. And I find that tremendously encouraging and also tremendously humbling at the same time. This is our God. You know, we, we, we dress ourselves in a very respectful way, this, you know, but we're all clean from the outside. You know, and we, look, we looked at the part, but we know what we're like internally. We know who we are, and yet this is our God, our, our all-knowing, almighty, eternal, faithful God, of how he has this wholehearted commitment to have a, a, a relationship with ourselves. It caused me, this afternoon, to be on my knees, to thank my God for loving a wretch like me. It's a wonderful truth. Let's consider something about the fact that our God is Almighty. Just a, just a challenge. Um, we know that, don't we? We know that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know that there's coming a day that, 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 that he will slay the, 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 the Antichrist and the false prophet with the breath of his mouth and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire how Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years and then he's going to be a judge we know all of these things we don't doubt it for a minute Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 Paul prays on, the, on behalf of the Ephesians that you may know what what does Paul want the Ephesian believers to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe this same power according to the working of his mighty power which worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and now he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places we know that Christ rose again from the grave on the third and appointed day he passed through the heavens and heavens opened and, and heaven received her king and, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty in high uh, an incredible display of power well this same power is available to you and I this evening when is the last time you or I prayed that we may know something of the exceeding greatness of this power in my life so that I so that we may become the people that we ought to be so that we may become more Christ like today don't kick the can down the road for next year so that we may be more Christ-like today. 
Our God is almighty. This power is available to you and I. We must all merely be on our knees. Begging God for his help and his empowerment. Second point. Um, our heart. Our hearts. It's interesting and important to note that there is a play in words throughout the uh, throughout the, the, the passage. And I judge and I ask you, you folks when you go home this evening to read all ten plagues. To read of these things. And you'll find out that there's a play in words. For example, you'll find that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Chapter 7, verse 14 and 22. Then you'll read also that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Chapter 8, verse 15 and 34. And then the Lord hardened his heart. Chapter 10, verse 1, verses 20 and 27. And, and there's more references to that as well. So there's an interplay in words, isn't there? Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and the Lord hardened his heart. What's going on? What is going on here? I think it's helpful to understand this, that the word hardened can also legitimately be translated as being strengthened. The translation that I read for, that I read out of, um, infers that Pharaoh's heart is hard with firmness. He refuses to let the people go. So, rather than hardened, his heart is strengthened. And just as resolve can be hardened or strengthened, so too can a heart be strengthened and hardened. The direction is not changed, but reinforced in spite of overwhelming evidence. For example, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, the third plague, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is nothing other than the hand of God. Only God can do this. His wise men, his, his, his counsellors, his magicians were telling Pharaoh this. In chapter 10 verse 7, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you, do you yet not know and understand that Egypt is ruined? And so Pharaoh had all this information, counsel, is given to him. This is nothing other than the hand of God. Information that Egypt is ruined. Why? Because God, um, the Lord, is judging our nation. <coughs> and yet, Pharaoh wanted to reject the Lord God. And the Lord God gave him exactly what he wished for. And I will just read Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. 
Even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and the foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is what Egypt was like. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And you read of that in two other occasions. God gave them over to dishonourable passions. God gave them over to an unfit mind. God strengthened Pharaoh's resolve. God is strengthening the resolve of people in our culture today. He's giving them their heart's desire. He gave Pharaoh his heart's desire. He refused to bow the knee. Amidst overwhelming evidence... His heart was strengthened. His resolve was made up. He refused to bow the knee. Now that tells you and I, that tells me, the importance of the heart. It tells me about the importance of the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, were commanded, keep your heart, present tense, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life keep your heart with all diligence for out of it the springs for out of it springs the issues of life i think it's helpful to remind ourselves of the example of moses you know, Moses was a man of unique experience. Of how it was Moses to whom the Lord appeared in the burning bush. Of how it was Moses who held the staff of God in the Red Seas parted. Of how it was Moses and Aaron who, through whom the, the plagues came. Of how it was Moses who went up to Mount Sinai. How it was Moses who, who met with the Lord God face to face. It's to Moses who God gave the commandments. It was to Moses that God gave the plans for the tabernacle. That speaks so eloquently of Christ. A man of unique experience. A man who, who knew God better than anybody else. And yet after Shinai, in Exodus chapter 33 verse 15, Moses is begging with his God, if, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses, although he knew so much more experientially than the people, of Israel than his fellow Israelites he could not conceive of life without his God, without learning new things about his God this is how he kept his heart present tense the New Testament equivalent is given to us in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 whatever things are noble whatever things are just 
whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good, good report, any virtue, anything praiseworthy, then what we're to do then? We are to meditate upon these things. This is how we are to diligently keep our hearts. To spend our time in church, wonderful. To spend our time serving our Lord, wonderful. To spend our time in the quiet place, reading scripture. Asking the Lord God for wisdom. How can I apply this knowledge into my life? What wonderful things can I learn about you, Lord? Reveal yourself to me in this word that I have read. This is how we keep our hearts. Third and final point, and it's authority. It's authority. You know, it's a ridiculous thing, isn't it, that uh, two men, two brothers, one aged 80, Moses, and Aaron, his brother, aged 83, one a shepherd, one a slave, would appear to Pharaoh the most powerful man on the planet, head of the most powerful nation on the planet, of how they go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. It's a ridiculous thing. It's a laughable thing. And, and, and Pharaoh himself was so, you know, he, he was laughing. He was so dismissive. Who is the Lord? Never heard of him. You're just almost laughing in their faces. I'm sure he did. And yet the wonderful thing is this, that these two, I was going to say old, but, but there's, there's people I guess who are older than, than Moses and Aaron in a congregation that, that this evening. But these two men, senior citizens, were armed with the rod of God. It's so described as the rod of God in Exodus chapter 17 verse 9. And these men, Moses and Aaron, have the delegated authority of God in their hands. We're told in Exodus chapter 4 verse 16 that Moses is saying about his brother, He, Aaron, will become a a mouth for you and you, Moses, will become as God to to him. And, and Moses was to tell his more eloquent brother Aaron the things to say. And, and they, they have this delegated authority, the rod of God in their hands. The symbol of authority. We see it, don't we? Chapter, chapter 7, verse 15. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. Verse 19. Take your staff and stretch over the rivers of Egypt. Chapter 8, verse 5. Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers. Chapter, verse 16. Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. The staff of God, the rod of God, was a symbol of the authority of God. This one who is self-existent, this one who is faithful, this one who is almighty. Well, this was a symbol of his authority in the hands of Moses and Aaron. It's one of my favourite passages in scripture in Exodus chapter 17 of how Moses, his two brothers... uh, And either side of him he's got the the staff of God in, in his arms... And his arms are lifted up. 
to heaven. And it says, the Lord is my banner. And through this staff, the ESV renders it, I have a a hand upon the throne of God. What an encouragement to pray. Our authority to appear before our God is through, through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our authority. And so this staff was a symbol of the rod of God. Now, if you or I were to wield such power, then I would judge that pride would so very quickly enter into our hearts. And pride is is a big issue with me, actually. And I I think with a a surname like my, my own, Proud, obviously some of my forefathers were proud individuals. Must have been. Must have been. Pride is a terrible sin. But the Word of God tells us in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. How could that possibly be the case? The man Moses was more humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Well, it was because he had spent time with his God. He had spent time with his God. Moses, perhaps more than any man, knew something of the greatness of God. And yes, Moses was a great man. You understand that. He's a giant of the faith. And yet in comparison to God, he was nothing. He was an act. And so because of his high view of God, Moses understood that he was very, very low. Again, the New Testament equivalent of that is Paul. I think it's very significant that in Acts chapter 13 verse 9 that that, uh, Saul of Tarsus, of how his name was changed to Paul. You know, Saul means God heard. Paul means small. I mean small. When Paul would write, I am weak. It is then that I am strong. When I am weak in my own estimation, I am then at a point where God can use me. And we must never be proud, conceited. We must be humble. The only way that we can be humble is by understanding the greatness of our God, by spending time in the Word of God, getting to know our God more. D.L. Moody would say this Moses spent 40 years thinking that he was a somebody 40 years realising that he was a nobody then 40 years seeing what God can do with somebody who knows he's a nobody, I like that 40 years thinking he was somebody, I am a prince 40 years realising that he was a nobody he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep understanding this knowledge and then for the last 40 years of his life seeing what God did through him 
Now, I was thinking about authority, the authority of God. How can we make application to that in our own lives? Well, I thought about practically, and it's, you know, it's good to be practical. And to understand that we have, those of us who are in faith, that we have an authority to use the gifts and the talents and the, and the abilities within the sphere that God has, within which God has, has appointed for us. And to illustrate that, I thought of John Knox. Now, John Knox was uh, a bodyguard to George Wishart, who was burnt at the stake. And uh, John Knox, whilst he was preaching um, in Edinburgh, and Mary, Queen of Scots, was resident in Holyrood, of how he was summoned to appear before her. Uh, in Holyrood itself. Now John Knox was a man who believed personally that he had been called by God to a public place to preach in the pulpit. And he resolved that he would not go anywhere where God had not called him. He understood that his was a public ministry. And so John Knox when he was requested by Mary, Queen of Scots, this woman who had power to burn him at the stake, he said this, I am called, madam, to a public function within the Church of God, and I am appointed by God to rebuke the sins and vices of all. I am not appointed to come to every man to show him his offence, for that labour were infinite. If your grace please therefore choose to frequent the public sermons at which I preach, then you shall know what I say. John Knox understood that he was called by God. John Knox understood that that he had an authority to preach the word of God. John Knox understood the sphere of the ministry within which God had appointed him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. And nothing would cause him to sway from that. Nothing would cause him to waver from that. He was wholehearted in his commitment. Why? Because he had an authority that was not derived from man, but he had an authority given to him by God. And the same is true for every child of God here this evening. It is for us to operate within the sphere of ministry that God has appointed us for. Nothing should cause us to swear from that. That's a challenge. It's so often, you know, we try to become a jack of all trades. Well, we're not. We're not fitted for that. It is for us, understanding the authority that has been given to us from God himself, to move and operate within the sphere that God has appointed us, that we may know something of the exceeding greatness of his power, not just within our own lives personally, but as we are conduits of blessing and channels of blessing to others, saint and sinner alike. Time is gone. Time is gone. Um, I encourage you all to read these things 
to read these plagues and, and to consider what lessons, what spiritual lessons can I learn? What lessons can I learn about my God? And how can I apply these things? What is an appropriate response in my life? Let us pray. And gracious God, as we bow before you um, this evening, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you particularly that it is a book that reveals yourself to us. We thank you that we have reminded ourselves that you are eternal, that you are self-existent. That you are the supreme cause of all things. That you are faithful to your promises. Lord, that you are almighty, that, that you have the power to keep your promises. God, we understand this, that it is for us to respond in an appropriate way. How Pharaoh was a man whose, heart, whose mind and heart was made up. Now God, we pray that you may help us to guard our own hearts. To spend time in the quiet place with yourself, with an open Bible. May we hear your voice as we read it. And may we grow in our faith. Now God, we pray that you may help us all to have a clearer understanding as to who we are in Christ. To understand the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have given to us. And Lord, that we may be bold, not in ourselves, but bold in our God, to know the sphere of ministry that you have given us to serve. May we be wholehearted. May we do all things for the glory and honour of Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.